0: you're listening to the tennis.com podcast and here's your host Ed McGrogan so, we interrupt your World Cup broadcast, everyone, for a tennis.com podcast here with Steve Tigner. I'm Ed McRogan. Um, Steve, it's, uh, you know, whenever actually World Cup Euro comes around, it's also Wimbledon time. That That's something that you and I notice at the press room over there quite a bit, as you're going to see dueling televisions of, uh, of soccer, tennis. Uh, going on there. You will be going over uh, in just a couple of days to Wimbledon. Um, we were there last year, I mean, what I guess just to start off, you know, what are you looking forward to most, uh, you know, the 2014 edition after, you know, quite a historic 2013 tournament? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, there's, you know, Murray
1: coming back at the, to start the tournament, that should be, that should be a great way to open it after after him winning last year, and just to see what how he reacts to that and his current situation um, coaching wise and and you know just the whole atmosphere around him returning you know, that Wimbledon has a great tradition of the the champion opening the tournament on the on center court opening the play on center court on the first day so that um, you know that's a, I think that's a great way to kick it off uh, also this just seems to be a really pretty open tournament to me on both sides men's and women's I can't really think of any Definite favorites, and
0: that's pretty rare,
1: I think, these days.
0: It's especially rare for Wimbledon, in particular. I think that's a tournament that has kind of held to chalk for so long. It's very rare to see um, sort of a surprise winner. But then again, last year we had a, a, you know a, a very surprising women's champ in Bartoli, and you know you could certainly say, uh, to some degree, a, a surprise that any Brit finally won it in Murray. You know, Murray. I had so many um, so much experience I think coming into finally breaking down that wall there um, I actually wanted to, to mention something about Murray and see what you thought since you often write about really the I think the, the press, the fans um, scene over at Wimbledon is, you know, now that there isn't that um, that curse really if you will uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to like the Red Sox really of 2000 four that you know broke a similarly long hex of trying to win a title um you know what do you what do you see do, do you think the environment the atmosphere will be any different now that you know a british man has won this tournament in 80 odd years
1: yeah i think um you know usually when you were there and you talked about tim henman or andy murray if you brought them up with anybody in london there was you know there's a little bit of hope but also mostly skepticism that they would never do it that you know that they you know people wondered why they got their hopes up that they would just they would you know finish they would be runner-up or losing the semis or losing some horrible way that they were you know it was destined to not happen and now it's happened so that part will be gone so that you know in a way it's totally something new for the the atmosphere I think I think Murray you know two years ago Murray played the final and he was he wasn't even really the crowd favorite with Federer I think it was pretty split down the middle last year he was clearly the clap crowd favorite he you know I think he slowly won over the crowd in England um, and now he comes back as a as a real winner and this is something completely new so so um, you know that skepticism will be gone we'll see maybe it'll be a little bit more like the Olympics uh, when he won in the at the Olympics when there was pretty much straightforward support for him, you know, maybe, we'll see, but maybe there'll be something, you know, I think there'll be a little different atmosphere than we've seen for a British player.
0: Yeah, it's going to be, um, I think this all really ties into what you're saying also, just kind of about, you know, the unknown for this Wimbledon, um, and I also tie back, you know, kind of before we get into into this year, I think back to what happened last year at Wimbledon, how it was... Uh, I think you called it like Wimbledon, you know, a crazy, just a Black Wednesday on the court where Federer and Nadal go down the span of a couple of days, among other big upsets. It was um, kind of a tournament of upheaval. Even though by the end you had the two, um, you had obviously two of the four top men playing in the final. Um, it's it's really a, strange, a a different dynamic I think to this year's Wimbledon for for so many reasons. And you know, you mentioned you know just a, a moment ago that there doesn't seem to be those favorites on really either side of the draw, and you know that's strange to say in in this in this period of um, the big four, especially on the men's side.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with the men, um, especially, it's just a it's it's sort of a moment that where there's no favorite. It's just sort of happens to come about because this tournament is just after the French Open. Federer, Murray, Nadal, and Djokovic. None of them are injured that I know of, none of them right now that I know of are seriously injured. We'll see about Nadal. But each right now comes in with a little bit of, you know, would you really pick that person to win? Rafa comes on comes after just winning the French Open. The last two years he's come here and lost in the second round and the first round. So he's hard to it's hard to think of him winning this tournament. Djokovic comes after a pretty bad, disappointing loss in the French Open final. So it's hard to see him. Federer, you know, Federer obviously has won this seven times and I would say this is, might be his last best chance to win a Grand Slam but he's also 32. I don't know if you outright pick Federer to win this tournament and Murray um, is the defending champion but he's still he's still fourth in that list of four so it's an interesting moment where the big four are all there but it almost feels like there's a little bit of a void as to you know who can really, who would you really get behind among those four um, and that's that's been really rare. So that's that's interesting in itself.
0: Yeah, let's let's dig into I think really each of these guys here in a sense. Well, first of all, just to to kind of address Rafa and Novak. I mean, you know, just from a a, a viewing perspective, a fan perspective, you know, even a storytelling perspective. Um, you know, do you do you want to see, for example, the next chapter of? Nadal and Djokovic unfold at Wimbledon. Um, after what we've witnessed pretty recently in the French Open, I mean, do, do you sense that? Uh, I, I know we, you know, we don't really play favorites, but I think you certainly have preferences as to how, um, you know, what might make for some of the best uh, matches at Wimbledon. You know, do you necessarily think that uh, this really shifting rivalry between Nadal and Djokovic really, uh, you know? Do we want to see those two kind of at the end, or do we want to see? or Do you want to see something maybe a little different this time? Well, yeah, the French Open match was disappointing. Um,
1: you know, I, I think it wasn't really a, it wasn't one of their best matches, and maybe at this moment it might, maybe that rivalry's a little tired as far as fans go. Of course, they could play a French Open, they could play a Wimbledon final that could be really good, and they'd be, they'd be back in business. Um, you know, they usually have good matches, and they're usually better than that French Open match, but. Right at this moment, no, I agree. You know, I would think it would be nice to see something different, um, as far as from a fan perspective. Whether it's somebody outside the Big Four, whether that's Federer getting back in there, whether that's Murray doing it again, um, I don't think I'm particularly. You know, I would be happy to see them play a final, and if if it was a great final, but but right now, I, you know, I don't want to see another final like that
0: French Open final they just played. Um. To Federer, you said that um, this might be his last realistic chance at finally at uh, winning one more slam. Uh, this is also uh, a story that is the, the cover story really for you know, this month in Tennis Magazine. We waited for Roger a lot, uh, quite a while, to get uh, to number 17. It happened at Wimbledon after. Uh, a pretty extended stretch. I think he went from the 2010 Aussie Open to 2012 Wimbledon. Um, it it certainly feels like a long time ago, two years ago now, uh, with Federer that summer winning over Murray, um, and then from that point on, um, Murray turning the tables at the Olympics. You know, what is your thought on where Federer is now? This has been, I think, a year for him where. Um, for the most part, you, you I don't think you can really fault Federer for how he's played this year. He's gotten back into the top four. He's just won a grass tournament, um, and he won Doha earlier this year, and has beaten, obviously, some of the best things. He's beaten Djokovic and Murray this year.
1: Yeah, he's played well. He played well at the beginning of the year. I wouldn't say he's coming in with a ton of momentum after you know, he—you um, know he's had twins again. He had to take some time off. He didn't have a good French Open. Um, he is in the top four and he's won that tournament in Allah uh, and he has had a better year he's definitely had a better year than last year that's why I say this is a this is a good chance for him but when you look at history and players in their 30s winning Grand Slams, I think I think people like Andre Agassi and Jimmy Connors um, they sort of you know they, they, they it makes us think that players can do well and win Grand Slams deep into their 30s. When those two guys, neither of them, won a Grand Slam after 32, which is Federer's age. You can, the, the, you know, the, the precedent seems to be that you can play, do well into your 30s, get to Grand Slam finals, get to Grand Slam semis. Um, but winning Grand Slams is a different thing. 32 seems to be the limit uh, among in the Open era, and Federer's there. So, and this is Wimbledon, his favorite tournament. Term, tournament he aims for. His, you know, a surface that he always plays well on. The other guys, none of the other guys are really dominant right now. So, um, you know, this, I think this is a good, you know, this has to be what I would think his, what he would think would be his best chance to win a slam. And, you know, he's done enough to put himself in a reasonable position. The one problem, the one thing I think that would be really difficult is for him to beat Nadal. Um, I think he can beat Djokovic on a good day. He can definitely, you know, he can, he's shown he can still beat Murray. Nadal is a tougher a tougher ask. He he hasn't beaten him in a while. Even on grass it will be a, it's a tough, you know, it's a tough matchup as we know. So that's the one thing that I
0: think he needs some he would need some help with. And and what will be interesting with um with those two is it's been it's obviously been a long time since 2008 which was the last time they've played there and you know there is obviously a chance this year that they could meet and it wouldn't necessarily be in the final depending on um, the draw of course there's the adjusting grass court rankings you have to kind of have to see where players um, come about on, on that uh, scale as well but it, it would be it would be pretty weird to see Federer and Nadal play at Wimbledon and, and not be in a final after, you know, playing in 06 through 08, but that that is a possibility this year, and I think that's even uh, a little more um, that we could perhaps look forward to, because I think it's uh, it, you know, a, a semi-final between those two, if that's how it shook out doesn't seem out of the question, but, uh, you know, who knows, Nadal might, would probably have even have the harder road, potentially, the way he is looked on grass, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Federer
1: could get benefit, he might, there's a good chance he might not have to play Nadal, judging by Rafa's on grass the last couple of years. He also lost his first match after the French Open on grass. The one thing I would say about Federer that I haven't really, it seems a little ominous, is the way he the way he has struggled to serve out sets. He, he, he struggled against Golbis. He even struggled in the final, Golbis at the French Open, and he lost. He struggled even in the final against uh, Alejandro Faya, and he won that match. But there's there's just a little bit of that's been a little bit of a problem, and and I do think that that'll be something he'll need to overcome, and and could be a problem for him at Wimbledon, even if he's playing well.
0: Right. Um, the last the last man we have mentioned yet um, to any great degree, Murray. Now, uh, it, I say that about the te- the you know the papers not having as much to talk about with um, with finally having a British champion. Well. They kind of have a lot more to talk about uh, this year as well, with Murray hiring or Moresmo as coach, and so that uh, is going to be ramped up obviously to great degrees um, with the papers over there. But you know, let me ha- let me hear. I think your thoughts on this coaching dynamic. We had a um, a piece from from Pete about this Pete Bodo on the site. Um, I think really pointing toward. You know, it, it, it's it's really about. What Pete said was it was it was more about how Maresmo's, you have to kind of figure Moresmo's experience um, as as not only a coach, but a player coming into this dynamic. Now, when Murray had Lendl in his corner, you know, Lendl was like Murray in the sense that he, you know, he got to those finals. He eventually overcame them and kind of flourished after that. Moresmo certainly not a player who you're going to remember alongside Lendl in terms of that Pete really did remind us that you know her career was a lot of missed opportunities, despite winning two Grand Slams. Um, but that all said, you know, how do you how do you see this um, you know relationship working out, maybe in the short and the long term? Yeah,
1: I guess people forget that Lendl lost a lot of Grand Slam finals too. He lost 11 of them. So I don't know what <laughs> I don't know that if that is a big difference. Moresmo um, is definitely not the not the same type of coach. I think Murray. Um, I think he just i think he liked her I think he liked talking to her he was comfortable he's comfortable um being coached by a woman because of his his mother he was coached by his mother um, I think he just got along with moresmo maybe there was maybe it was a little easier than with lendl maybe he wanted to have a little easier type of give and take um you know, maybe there's a little bit less of a coach student relationship with he and moresmo they're closer she's younger um the one thing that is odd to me that he would do this now at this obviously the biggest time of the year would sort of do a coaching experiment in the middle of the grass court season going into Wimbledon when if he doesn't suddenly if he doesn't win Wimbledon it's gonna look like this was a mistake whereas obviously you can not expect her to have a big effect on his game in a matter of one month so that seems a little that I'm not sure why he would choose now to do that, but um, but maybe I think he I think the main thing with her, from what I can gather, listening to him, is that he just he just liked talking to her and felt good about the you know the back and forth. Um, so we'll see. It's just it's just a little unfortunate, I think, that that there's now suddenly a lot of pressure on him to win Wimbledon to match what he did last year, to make this coaching decision
0: look um, you know look like a smart move. Yeah, he didn't make things any easier, I think, for sure in that respect there. Um... You know, let's let's move to the women's side here. Um, you know, with that note, and let's start with um, let's start with Serena Williams, who now for the past few slams uh, has taken some earlier exits. Um, this has not thus far been one of her um, you know utterly dominant years that we've witnessed. In the past couple of years, from her, even you know, above even you know, above 30 uh, in age, and I, I think we're perhaps a little perplexed of where to place Serena. Um, you know, certainly, I, certainly not off the favorite mana, but really just kind of her status in relation to to everyone else on the tour, and it and it wasn't even. In this case, this year we've seen that it's not a issue. It's not an issue of her having trouble with one your player like Azarenka um, in Seminches a couple years ago. It's certainly not Sharapova when you consider are head-to-head. But she's been troubled by some other, um, you know, other players that you know we might not have thought of before. Latest case: um, Garbine Muguruza in the French Open. So. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on Serena coming in this term? We actually haven't seen her in a little while.
1: Yeah, I think it's different now. Up until now, for maybe for the last two years, you would go into a Grand Slam and say, "Can anybody beat Serena?" I don't think anybody's going to think that now. Three of the last four Grand Slams, she hasn't made the quarterfinals, so you really can't say that she's she's unbeatable. Or, and I think the big difference is the way that Muguruza beat her. It wasn't Serena wasn't injured. She didn't obviously didn't play well, but Muguruza. You know, played well and won that match, six-two, six-two. That's you know, that's something. That's you know, score-wise, that's the worst loss for Serena. And also, she was just outplayed by a player who wasn't even ranked in the top 20. So that's, I think that's what makes this different. You can't say, you know, in some of the past her past losses that she was hurt, even at, even in the Australian Open against Sabina, but she had a back problem. This time, there really has been nothing like that. So that, you know, I don't think you can. I think Serena is just is still the if you're gonna pick one person she's still the favorite but there isn't this there isn't this overwhelming sense that she that, that it, you know it's virtually impossible to beat her um, and you know she was beaten in the fourth round at Wimbledon last year so so that makes it different and, and you know if we think there's a there's sort of a it's hard to pick them if there's no real favorite on the men's side I mean the women's side is much more the case without with Serena currently the current status that she has I mean nobody else really sticks out
0: you know, it's even more sort of wide open than the men's, I would say. Well, who of the who of the rest would you, um, you know, choose to, I think, talk about to some great degree for who could take advantage of that wide open nature? Well, it's tough. I mean, it's yeah. just like
1: the men's. It's like, is there anybody you would really say, that's the person I'm going to back? Lena lost in the first round of the French. She's She'll be the number two seed. Um, Simona Halep is ranked number three can you know she's never been past the second round at Wimbledon um Sharapova has struggled uh, you know Wimbledon is her favorite tournament you can and but she's struggled to back up the French Open she lost early last year um is just coming back you know Radwanska, you'd like to think she she certainly has been in the final and the semi last year so you would think that she has a chance but she's never won a grand slam so you know those are the you know those are the really the top names so I don't think there's anybody that can that I would just just like on the men's side. There's a bunch of possibilities, but there's nobody that that
0: um, that really stands out. Let's—I'd be a little remiss to not mention one player who has done amazingly well at both slams thus far this year: Jeannie Bouchard, uh, two semifinal runs, um, clay and over in Australia. Um, certainly, a, a a young career. In, and we have not certainly seen much of her on grass to have any real um, definitive take, but, you know, I guess besides that, you know, what has she done so well in the first two slams of this year and really just overall as a player, because I think uh, I, I would say that, I, I wouldn't say that uh, we, we want to certainly watch out for her for a, uh, a potential upset bid for a great Nature here, but yeah, these these two results in uh, in Melbourne and Paris cannot be discounted. Yeah, I
1: think Bouchard has you know. There's two things I think that are that are really good about her game is certainly the mental aspects. Her her composure reminds me a little bit of of Chris Everett. Chris Everts in a way. She doesn't she will stay composed, play with her head, doesn't let her emotions get the best of her often, um, and that you know that's that's half the game, and also, you know, she's not the most natural player, she's not as natural mover or hitter as, say, Halep, and she will, and Bouchard can be guilty of attacking too much, but I like the fact that she just keeps coming back to it, she doesn't get afraid, or doesn't typically get tentative, she did a little bit against Sharapova at the French Open, um, but that was somewhat understandable, and she had a chance to win, but otherwise, she just, you know, she sort of keeps at it, keeps at what her game plan is. And you know, I think that's that's served her well, and the, you know, the mental aspect has really helped. I, and she's she lost yesterday uh, on grass in the, in this a tune-up tournament, but last year she beat Ivanovic badly at Wimbledon. So I think her game, I think her game will translate to grass. Uh, you know, most players' games translate on all surfaces now, it seems, and I think I think that's true for her. So so I would look for you know for her. She'll be an interesting to see where she is in the draw.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think this and all the things we've mentioned just kind of set up for, you know, like I said, a really uh, a Wimbledon of a lot of unknowns. But you know, I always say this about Wimbledon is that it is a it is the Slam where I it hardly ever disappoints in terms, you know, no, no matter really who comes out of it. I think back to really, you know, I go back to last year and you know, you and I were both there actually, and you know, I think who would have thought that what ended up happening on both the men's and women's side would give us really still such a memorable uh, a memorable tournament. And this is, a, to, to a degree, taking Murray out of the picture here, but you think back to really the Bartoli and Lazicki runs up there. You know, the final was not great by any means, but, you know, what happened to, to uh, bring us to that point? Um, this tournament really is what I think all players... Regardless of nationality, regardless of preference for surface, and I think, you know, Nadal might be the best example of someone who, you know, as much of a clay, you know, God as he is, you know, he still talks about Wimbledon as really the ultimate. Um, you know, Djokovic, when he was asked about a couple of his, you know, his great career accomplishments, um, you know, the one Wimbledon trophy was you know, certainly not lost on him as such a, a pivotal moment in his career and that shows in all the matches and it's, uh, it's I think far and away still the best tournament in tennis and I don't think you, know, you should really expect anything less uh, in a, you know, a few days time Yeah, I think if you're a young player and you're pretending you're playing a tournament
1: you, nobody pretends like they're playing the Australian Open, right? Everybody pretends they're playing Wimbledon um, and but also as far as like as far as the wide open aspect, it is last year's was last year 's tournament, which became really wide open, is interesting because once once a lot of seeds go out, each match becomes even early in the tournament becomes much more interesting because you know you 'd really have no idea who 's going to continue on to possibly win Wimbledon like Bartoli did. It turned out that the quarter final between Bartoli and Sloan Stevens, which was close, might have been you know, might've been the biggest of the tournament and, and somebody like Sloan Stevens could have won Wimbledon. So that in a way, I don't think you can really lose at these grand slams, even if, even if the big names go out early.
0: Yeah. And, uh, at Wimbledon, you will be having, uh, quite a bit to say on all this. um, First ball in. Steve will be continuing with that series of ours, but with a, with a lot more coming from uh, the tabs over there, and uh, some also some great photography from us as well, um, among many other things from the All England Club. So um, I will be here this year. Steve will be there, and everybody else will be focused on the tennis as always. So tune back in throughout this week for preview coverage, and of course during the championships. Um, Really round the clock stuff. Steve will talk to you over there. And I am Ed McGrogan. Thank you for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.